Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Hi Kenneth, hi everyone. My name is Anna Van Din, but everyone calls me Alan. Uh, I'm a German-born Vietnamese. 13 years ago in 2008, I decided to move to Vietnam and start my own business here. So I started out as a club promoter in nightlife and also like founded a club with my current partner and the founder of Cypher, like our NFT gaming project that we're currently doing. Great to be here. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. What does it mean to be Vietnamese to you nowadays? Hmm, Vietnamese nowadays. Okay. If someone would have told me I would end up in Vietnam like uh, 20 years ago, I would say like, okay, you're crazy. Because I grew up like very, uh, well, like a banana, right? <laughs> From The outside is yellow, inside yeah. is pretty white. I was surrounded by uh, German friends when I grew up in kindergarten elementary school, primary school. And I think it was until like the age of like 12 when my dad forced, tried to force me and my, my brother to take Vietnamese lessons. But we were too lazy, like uh, going uh, to school or to class every Sunday, like a half an hour drive. And we were like, nah, we don't need Vietnamese. We, are, we live in Germany and who do we talk to? And you guys understand us anyways, right? <laughs> if we're hungry, we say, <laughs> if we need money, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> so you were born in Germany? Yeah, Cologne, Cologne. In Cologne. So when you were growing up and your father at 12 years old said, hey, let's enroll you in a Vietnamese class. Um, why did he decide to do it so late? Hmm. I think like uh, before, like we lived in a very small town. I was born in Cologne, but we moved like to a small town in the south called Van Weyer. 
and uh, not a big of a Vietnamese community there. I think we may know be like know like around like three Vietnamese families, and that's about it. And to get to like the bigger cities where they have like these Vietnamese communities, it's like a half an hour drive. And I, I guess my dad was like quite busy back in the days. So yeah. When when you were growing up, up till twelve, I mean, what did you think? Did you think that there was like a difference between you and the kids that you were growing up around that were not Vietnamese, or were you just sort of like part of the you part of the community and they didn't make fun of you, or you know, things were very, relatively easy for you? Yeah, things were easy until like the age of twelve, puberty when puberty hit. Yeah. Before that, like, uh, was very light between my friends and in class. So yeah, always like hung out with everyone, get along very well. And uh, yeah, I felt like I'm being one of them. And it's just like my outer appearance, like people from the outside sometimes like, oh yeah, make fun of me. Like people on the streets, like, oh, ching chong chong and all that stuff. Yeah, in Germany. Huh? Yeah. But uh, I, I didn't get too upset with it back in the days because I felt pretty much German. So let them think whatever they want to think. I know who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Feel German then, today? Sorry? You still feel German today? Oh, it's tough to say after living in Vietnam for 13 years. Mm, I think like uh, it's a part of you. You you were born there. You grew up there like, yeah, almost your whole life, over half your life. And yeah, you never get rid of uh, where your roots are, but... I would say like the way I think about certain things is not as German as before. Mm. It's more like a mix between like, uh, yeah, East meets West. Yeah. But for the good thing, I think like uh, I always try to get the, take the best of both both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, my problem that I talk about all the time is I feel like I'm neither Vietnamese or American because guys like us, when you're born in, the the other country another country and you know the connection that you have with the motherland is so close and so tight sometimes you're like you know well you know the 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 mind it's like a mind fuck it's yes definitely sometimes you're trying to figure out the identity part of it and it's um it's a little painful sometimes but for the most part it's an enjoyable privilege uh it's a privileged ride but um yeah, I, I find that for my my own experience, but I'm growing out of that. It's uh, slowly transforming. Yeah, I, I totally understand it, especially for me, because I came to Vietnam for the first time so late in 2004 at the age of 1920 already. And like most of my friends, like Vietnamese friends, they, they all came back to Vietnam like for vacation at least, or they grew up with the Vietnamese language and culture a little bit. At home, they spoke mostly in Vietnamese to their parents. Yeah, so for me, coming back here for the first time was like uh, a culture shock. Like, yeah. What brought you back to Vietnam? Oof, long story. Where should it start? Okay, so after finishing like uh, college, like in Germany, we uh, like uh, there's like 13th grade. So after that, you usually do like uh, civil services or go to the army for like nine or 10 months. Like that's like your uh, yeah social service for the country as a guy, and then after that you enroll in a university. But for me, it was like 
yeah, I had to wait for my spot at university because like I applied for medicine. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, more like my parents wanted me to yeah, yeah go that path, become a doctor. But uh, deep within, I always knew like uh, it wasn't something for me. Yeah. But I didn't know like uh, what I wanted to do with my life. You know, I was kind of like, uh, yeah, without any direction. So my dad uh, offered me a choice. Like when I finished college, I'm waiting for the spot. Like, okay, either go to the US. I've been to the US like, uh, yeah, every year because I had a green card and my family, we wanted to move there, California or Texas. But then, yeah, my dad gave up with that idea. So he told me, yeah, you can spend some time in the US or you can go to Vietnam maybe. And for me, it was like, hmm, okay, it was like, the certain stage i didn't know like what to do in my life so i said like hmm, okay you ask again no i think i go like uh to vietnam especially like uh it was when i had like uh my first vietnamese girlfriend in germany and yeah broke up and then i was thinking like okay maybe you should uh see how vietnam is to how, find more about the country how old were you i was 19 1920 yeah wow so you get to vietnam and um, it's a culture shock and everything. And how long do you stay the first time? Uh, I stayed for 10 months, yeah. And uh, that was that 13th year, you said? Right after high school? Uh, yeah. Or after? 13th year and one year after, yeah. One year after. after. So you, did you do yeah. the, the army and everything? No. Uh, well, I wouldn't say luckily because I have like a small heart condition. So it was, uh, yeah, I didn't have to enroll for that. Got it, so got I had it. like much more free time and yeah, I, uh, uh, I worked at my dad's, uh, company or factory, you can say like, uh, at the uh, Mercedes Benz, like, uh, where they, uh, manufactured the first Maybach, the famous oh, one. Yeah. Really? The flagship. Yeah. Back in the day, thing it's called. Yeah. The city. Yeah. So I used to work there like three summers. It, it was good money for six weeks, really good money. And, uh, yeah. And with that money, I decided like, okay, I saved something up and yeah, let's do an adventure. So you get to Vietnam, right? And who, did you have any family that uh, you stayed with? Yes, with my uncle, but it's not like blood related. So yeah, my dad uh, introduced me and said like, okay, you stay with your uncle. And basically it was like the house that belonged to my uh, grandfather from my dad's side, my, da my dad's dad, yeah, that he had to get, gave up to leave the country and yeah bring the family over to europe and everything so that, that, that's on levante in district uh, uh Funyuan. Funyuan district yeah yeah so I stayed there and my dad also told my uncle yeah okay get him into vietnamese classes so first month take vietnamese classes every day for yeah six hours four hours uh, during the morning two hours like uh, afternoon homework and like yeah i finished like first and second grade within 30 days yeah wow and then after um you did that did you think back like oh my god as a 12 year old i should have paid attention more yeah definitely definitely i totally felt it like everywhere I went like people knew right away okay this this guy he's from overseas yeah, yeah. but when, when you first got there right i always wonder like people's first time did you like party a lot and fall into a, a situation where 
the people that you stayed with were just kind of like boy you know they're just like yeah. oh did they did you have like conflict with the people that you stayed with definitely because like at a young age and like uh having that background like uh going to clubs like early in germany at the age of 16 so yeah at the age of 20 yeah living with uh, your uncle and like a curfew like 11 p.m didn't work so yeah sometimes wow. i came like after midnight one and i had to ring the bell and yeah yeah, yeah that's, so that's, yeah that's, that, that's yeah. when i decided like uh, when i met a friend there and yeah he found me like a place to stay and yeah in the beginning it was really funny my dad told me about this one website i think vietnam friends or online vietnam friends or whatever i don't know like how he got the link but i think like that they were uh, that, that site was mostly like for dating or something like that or for people to make friends i don't know but yeah went up on there yeah create a profile some people messaged me and like oh yeah let's meet up for coffee whatever and then yeah we moved out of the, the uncle's house yeah and then on so at, at this whole time what are you thinking like what am i are you gonna decide to stay to, to live there and create a life there no not at all i knew that i had to survive uh, for 10 months before i can go back uh, or at least like six months it was i think yeah the visa and everything but like yeah the first day was like wow coming out from the airport i was like wearing like a full winter gear <laughs> like t-shirt sweatshirt and like a jacket and then like wow it's a uh, 40 something degrees celsius the humidity there i was sweating and like coming down and i see like all these people looking at me like oh wow it's like uh, funny like hey like uh okay how do i look uh, is something wrong with my face and stuff like that and you know like how the vietnamese airport is like they're all waiting for yeah the family members or yeah. someone to come home and they all stare at you you feel like and a rock star yeah yeah or some weird uh, uh uh zoo attraction yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then like my uncle was there with like uh yeah he had like uh this cardboard with a name on it and yeah i don't i until uh, today i still don't remember what he told me uh, because my vietnamese was so bad i yeah. still don't know what he told me and yeah and then and i knew like he was driving motorbike and uh he said uh, he told me okay get in the taxi and then yeah i gave him instructions where to bring you and the first time I had like issues with my luggage. So somehow they lost my luggage. So, okay, that was a good start. And like, um, and I didn't know like how it is in Vietnam. Oh shit. Did I lose like all my stuff right now? Or yeah, are they going to find it and send it me many later? But my uncle, yeah, don't worry. Don't worry. I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> I got all my stuff in there, but yeah, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> Put me in a taxi and then like, okay, follow him. And then damn, in a taxi, the traffic. And then like, I was sitting right to the door to the right like uh and then like i seen all these motorbikes like uh driving so close to me then okay I shift a little bit to the left sit in the middle <laughs> and like okay that's safer <laughs> so it was a quite, quite quite a shock like wow, wow how can yeah. i drive like that hey you're too close so you're yeah. living for the first time um during the 10 months every day there has to be this thought like what the hell am i doing with my life here yeah, it was kind of late. And of course, the first three days were really bad. Like the weather I wasn't used to. I got sick and I got stomach ache. Yeah. I ate something bad and like, well, I was lying down like for one whole day. And yeah, my uncle was giving the medicine and yeah, taking care of me, the family. But I was just in bed and felt miserable. Yeah. 
that I think it happens to a lot of people. I, I hear that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's something about the the bacteria in your stomach that is not used to the new bacteria. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what you eat. It's you know, and you have to like have that bacteria or whatever go into your stomach that first trip. And I was yeah. like three days the first trip. Oh, as well. Yeah. Okay. Three good. days. Yeah. No. Yeah. Three days. It was terrible. Yeah, especially with the tap water, I didn't know about it. Yeah. But uh, fortunately, I didn't uh, drink out of, yeah, out of it. My uncle said, "Oh no, 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 no! You can't drink that." Like, oh, okay, okay, this is not Germany. Okay, I got it, I got it. So, so that first time you decide after ten months to go back to Germany. Uh, Why did you leave Vietnam? Actually, I would have stayed longer, but my dad told me like, okay, um, yeah. You should go back and like yeah try to enroll in a different university or like okay not only for medicine but also like for maybe become a dentist so still like a kind of a similar direction and like yeah okay all right but yeah it was quite sad when I left because like yeah I met a lot of friends here and yeah life was it felt almost like paradise yeah, yeah like uh, not a lot to worry about and. The money I had saved up was enough to live and met cool people. Yeah, then, didn't fall in love really, but yeah, but I missed the people here. Yeah. Yeah. So then you go back to Germany, you stay for a while. How much longer does it take <laughs> to get back to Vietnam? I stayed and tried to enroll. And I think like after six months, like uh, in 2005, I went back to Vietnam again for another year, another 10 months, 10 to, 10 to 11 months while waiting for another spot at university. Because like uh, my grades in, in college were like okay, yeah, like above average, like uh, not as good as they need to be to get into these uh, universities. Because like back then everyone was like, yeah, if you want to study medicine, then your grades have to be really high up because there's such a long waiting list. So yeah, the smarter you are, the quicker you get the spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you go back to Vietnam and this time, what's different? With a game plan. Okay. Um, the difference was like, okay, whenever I went back to Germany, I felt miserable again. Okay. What's in my room? My room is in the cellar. Like I have a whole cellar for myself. And I pretty much spent my whole time in there and like, just like chatting with my friends in Vietnam, miss Vietnam, play games. Yeah. Watch anime and movies and all that stuff mm -hmm. and play games and yeah, like online games, uh, MMORPGs, like one specific one, like Ragnarok Online, like the Europe server. I played it, uh, yeah, for almost half a year and grinded it up. And then I decided, like, hmm, okay, I quit, but I spent so much time. So I want to do something with that. Then I checked on eBay.de, the German eBay, the European eBay. And then I see, like, wow, there are like over 300 results for this game. Okay, people are selling their account, their items, their. Yeah in-game currency and all that stuff. And I said, okay, wow. Actually, the six months made me 200-something euros. Okay, better than nothing. <laughs> and then I looked into ways like, hmm, okay, that's interesting. So I know I played for that long. I know like how to get the best loot and make the most money in-game. And I thought like, hmm, okay. Look up on Google, find like some bots, some programs where you put in parameters and it does everything for you automatically. You set like waypoints and yeah. So I tried that and yeah, it generated some income for me and I was like, okay, not bad. But then 
the issue was like uh, my account got banned by a GM guild master. And yeah, and then I had to talk to support and they said like, okay, we caught you botting. And like, oh, why? I didn't do anything. Yeah, we have like uh, the lock and it, it's very suspicious. Yeah, so we put you in jail and like, okay, for how long? Yeah, one month. I'm like, oh shit. And then like with the money, I bought another account and then <laughs> tried to be outsmart the system. But wow. yeah, and find some ways to avoid jail, like in-game jail. But yeah, after like uh, one or two months, they found out and put me in jail again. So oh, okay, wow. I like, okay, whatever. I just keep the accounts until they are freed up again. I'll be in jail more. Then when I came to Vietnam and yeah, I talked to my friend about that. And he said like, hey, you should f- find some students who want to earn some extra money. I'm like, yeah, uh, they would do that. How much would that cost? And he said like, yeah, 500,000 dong. I was like, what, that cheap? It was like 20 euros. I'm like, now I want good ones. Like, yeah, reduce me good ones. I paid him double. He's like, what, 1 million? That's a lot of money, man. That's like more than the uh, average wage back then in 2005. Yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, but I need to trust them, you know, because they have access to my account and everything. And yeah, I found like two young kids, 15, 17, I think they were. And yeah, they were like really hyped up. They're like, oh yeah, we love playing games. And yeah, we don't know this game yet. Can you show us how it works? And like, yeah. But, but had like why, a session would, with them. why wouldn't they go out and do it, you know, and set up their own account to do and make their own money eventually? Because the game was very niche and European server, everyone was speaking English and like Spanish, Italian, French, German, and like uh, they had to sell like on uh, eBay, Europe, and all that stuff. It, very it was, complicated. Yeah, very complicated for local Vietnamese to do that back then. How long? But did you still, do that for? oh, I did it for the whole year, like while in Vietnam. Yeah, and, like and six how months much, longer. How much money did you make per month? I mean, net profit. Uh, okay, I paid like one person 1 million, like 40 euros, and one person made me like 450 euros, so 400, yeah, 10 times. Yeah. Shit. Yeah, that's that's why I believe in play to earn crypto now, because mm. I, I did it like the old-fashioned way. And I wanted to expand, and I tried to explain to my dad, and you know, like Vietnamese parents are like, no, games, waste of time. Yeah. Yeah, it won't get you anywhere. And then like, uh, yeah, in 2006, 2007, like that article came out, like uh, Chinese gold farmers in World of Warcraft create a 1 billion mark, US dollar market. And I was like, oh, dad, I told you. Did he yeah. change his mind after that? Uh, a little bit. He, yeah. My dad is like um, the kind of person, uh, I, I, I don't believe in it. He's like more scared skeptical yeah 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 so because like where he comes from yeah yeah so with two people why not do 10 people why not hire 10 kids to, to yes really, yeah there was the idea but like i said like uh the issue back then was all manual so i had to uh it wasn't district eight i stayed in district eight uh, at my friend's place and like there was like a net cafe internet cafe where kids go and play or use the internet and yeah, I went there and talked to the owner. Like, I want these two machines in a corner for one whole month booked out so no one can touch it because I installed a game and like all these programs on there to check. And like, yeah, and there will like, uh, like uh, two guys come and play every day. Please, uh, yeah, 
check if they play or not and report to me. Yeah, I gave him like 100,000 <laughs> to do that, like extra. It was like four euros. Yeah, like $5. Not even, no, $6. Yeah. And yeah, I had to make sure that they do the work. And uh, every day, I still have to check on the account. Okay, how much did they uh, loot? And uh, yeah, put back into storage. And then I had to set up the storage manually, switch to my uh, merchant character only the merchant can sell stuff so you switch to merchant character and depends on the level how high level you are you can list like six items or up to ten uh, fortunately had a like a high level so ten items and find a good spot in the city in the virtual city where people can see me a lot and for the stuff i'm selling it's like uh, each each corner like sells different stuff so you have to find your spot Man, this is and, crazy. You're like describing uh, for somebody like me, it's like almost like you're describing the metaverse, right? Yeah, it was kind of like uh, back in the days, all these uh, online games, MMORPGs, they all have their own world. They basically all have their own metaverse and you have like your game character and all that stuff. But only difference is like, okay, you are not the game character and you don't own the character. So whenever the game developer decides, okay, we shut the server down, it's gone. You lose everything. All all the years you spent, gone. Nothing wow. you can do about it. Yeah. And and that happens quite often. Yeah, I played a lot of games that were quite good. Some I lost interest, and some they just shut down because of, of player inactivity or whatever. Or yeah, some were doing good, but still they shut down because they got acquired by someone else, and they changed like things, and then the community didn't like it, and everyone left, and. Yeah, all of a sudden you spent like so much time in with games and then my dad was right then yeah it's a waste of time but unless making, you can yeah if you're making a living and you're making real money then it's not really a waste of time it's just like yeah. a business you operate for a few years and you go to another one right yes there was a business and also like a good business because like uh i remember like uh i think his name was Don. yeah like one of the kids that played for me I'm not a kid, a 16, but yeah, he one day he, he told me like, hey, hey, my dad wants to talk to you. And like, oh shit. All right, I'm in trouble. The dad is going to, yeah, scold me like, hey, what are you doing with my son? Like, uh, yeah, why why does he get all this money? But, uh, but then it was all cool. Like, uh, yeah, his dad uh, wanted to thank me for giving his son like uh, like uh, an extra income. And uh, it didn't, it didn't uh, interfere with his studies, so that was good. He played like six to eight hours, uh, six days a week, but still had time to study and make uh, one million Vietnamese dong while his dad made uh, 750, yeah, 700. So 50% more than his dad. That's crazy. Yeah, so, and yeah. And uh, he was able to help out his family, his parents, just by playing a game for me. And while he was making me money and while the money was coming like from uh yeah europe uh, germans and people in europe who uh, who have the reasoning okay uh i talked to like one guy he was like a regular customer like every week he, he even came to my uh, uh my home where, where i lived with my parents in, in Reutling. like he uh, drove there and like rang the bell and i like hey i want to do a transaction and like oh okay then yeah, sure. Uh, give you like ten minutes. I uh, transfer funds, and, and then I talk to him like, uh, "How come that uh, you buy like every week and stuff?" And, you know, it was kind of sad, and also like, mm, 
interesting to hear from him. Like the way he explained it to me was like he has like a very boring job, and what he does in his job, like okay, uh, he doesn't get along with his coworkers. Yeah, doesn't get any respect. But in game, he was like a guild leader. Yeah, he was leading a guild like uh, 50 people almost, and respected every time he comes online. Everyone is greeting him and like, hey, what's up? And like, hey, what's the agenda? What's the plan? When is the next guild wars and stuff? And he felt like, wow. So he told me like he enjoys the second life, the virtual life, more than his real life. That's why like whatever he makes with his job, he spends in the game because it gives him more joy. He doesn't have the time to level up because of his job, but in game, he can keep up with everyone and be a good leader. So that was kind of yeah, very interesting. Yeah, so interesting, Mike. I have kids that work for me, and we talk about this all the time. When is it in history that we are going to completely switch over to enjoying the digital, the second life, more than the original life? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's Back then, it was even a game like the, the first metaverse was called Second Life, uh, if you remember that game. Yeah. And yeah, I had a friend who was like really into it, and like uh, him and his girlfriend designed like some stuff. They created some assets and sold it in game for dollars, Linden dollars or something like that. And yeah, there was like you could like exchange it for real money for real USD again and all that stuff. Yeah, there was a very first metaverse. I only like read into it, but I never got started. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, I didn't want to <laughs> live like a real life, like in a virtual space. Uh, in the virtual space, I want to play games, fight, or do fun stuff, game stuff. Now, now this is when our conversation to me gets very interesting because I had no idea you came from that background first, and then it was the clubbing and the actual real world. Because now what I'm hearing is like, you know, I thought you were just a party guy. You go back to Vietnam, then you get involved in the nightlife, and you become more in the club space and in the real world. But knowing that you come from this very virtual um space and then you come over and you transition in the club space i mean there has to be similarities and differences mm -hmm. so can we talk about that yeah basically i had like a lot of childhood dreams i think the first one like when i was like six was become like become a football player like soccer player yeah and yeah uh, I, i was quite good like uh, technical and speed wise but yeah Height, I uh, like in height and strength. And my dad, like typical Vietnamese parent, like ah, no, you can't compete with like Germans and all that stuff. They're all strong and stuff. But I almost got into like uh, yeah, playing like uh, in a club, yeah. So I wa really wanted to follow the dream, but yeah, my mom had a uh, heart condition. She got surgery. I, I inherited it, it. So yeah, when the doctor told me like hmm, you can't. You can't play football for a living or on a professional level. You can't do it like for one hour straight. I'm like, oh shit, okay, that's a bummer. Yeah, so it was kind of sad, very sad about that. Uh, but then, like afterwards, I think age fourteen, fifteen, I, uh, uh, yeah, I discovered a new passion. It was like dancing. Yeah, uh, so I really got in dance back in the days. Like I grew up with Michael Jackson. <laughs> all the time like watching and uh, really like uh, admiring him like the music and his moves and all the stuff and try to imitate and all the stuff and mm -hmm. yeah somehow yeah the music and uh, 
dancing. That's why like uh, me and some friends, we started going out to clubs at the age of 16. And you're not a full grown up in Germany. 16, you can go to certain clubs with ID that you're 16, but you have to leave before midnight. Right. Yeah. We always tried it at the age of 15 already. It was a fun story. Yeah. We, <laughs> we got on our bicycles. <laughs> we rode our bicycles at night, like uh, at 8 p.m., like to a different city, like for over half an hour, like 40, 45 minutes to try to get into that one club called Cinderella, I think, <laughs> very small club at the age of 15. And sometimes the bouncers, okay, they're cool. Okay, don't check ID really. But for me, it was always an issue, like Asian jeans, you know, like always look young, like, yeah. hey, wait, are you, yeah, you can't be 16, where's your other ID? And like, oh, you're 15, okay, sorry, you can't go in. And then like, okay, drive 45 minutes back home. <laughs> in the middle of the night, like through the fields. <laughs> it's really funny, yeah, but yeah. That's it was crazy. worth it, and yeah. And with that stuff, like going partying a lot and slowly discovering like Asian parties, like in Germany, like sometimes they have like Asian communities, they, yeah, they uh, throw like these kind of parties for Asians, Chinese, uh, Vietnamese, Filipinos and all that stuff. And it was a lot of fun to see other people, you know, yeah. then I got slowly moved from like being German, like to more Asian you know? mm. at the age of 15, 16, that was a switch kind of. Yeah. No, it happens. So yeah. So when you're in Vietnam and, and you're doing the video game work for a year, are you going out and partying at the... Yeah, the yeah. Because it was all automated. So yeah, I let the, the kids play. And I went out like almost every night, every yeah. day. Like my schedule was like during the day, play bowling <laughs> with uh, friends, uh, some celebrities. Yeah, sometimes for money and all this stuff. And at night we went to eat and then clubbing. And every day, almost every day, like the same. Yeah, starting from 1, 2 p.m. till like 2 a.m. Yeah. Good years. Yeah, but thinking back of that, yeah, actually like, hmm. <laughs> I don't know how I did it, but yeah. Was yeah so, then, fun. so you start going out to all these clubs, right? And at what point do you say, I'm going to get involved in this business? Not back then, because I was just like, a, yeah, party goer, like just a customer and the clubs didn't feel really like fun to me. I was sitting around with the cognac bottles and like, uh, I was like, hmm, where's the vodka? And they're like, uh, we don't have vodka here. I was like, what? <laughs> okay. That was like in 2005, of course, like uh, there was no vodka culture or white spirit culture. It was super early. Yeah. Uh, everything was dominated by Hennessy, VSOP, EXO, and also Martel, VSOP, EXO, so all that uh, old stuff now. Yeah. And yeah, the clubs, yeah, people sitting more and showing off their, uh, okay, the phones, their bottles on the tables. Yeah. No one was dancing and like, uh, yeah, when I started dancing with friends and everyone was looking and yeah. And yeah, some were cool with it. It's, uh, yeah, it's like a thing like, okay, girls like, they like guys who dance, of course, and like guys that don't like girls who like other guys. Okay. So there was sometimes a conflict, but it's okay. So never really got into trouble. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So then at what point does it become a business for you? Nightlife. Okay. So fast forward things. So 2005, the second time I went to Vietnam and then my dad told me again, okay, it's time. Okay. 
not medicine, you go to uh, uh, university and study business administration, the most generic uh, thing you can do, right? If you don't know what to do with your life. Yeah. It's like, okay, going back, I went to Heinrich Heine University in Düsseldorf. It's uh, close to where I was born in the same state, close to Cologne. Uh, met some old friends and like, yeah, I tried university for two years, but then after that, I had to tell my dad again for the third time, sorry, dad, I'm out of here. <laughs> I have to go back to Vietnam. I have to do my own thing. I can't so, do this. This was, you went back to university for two years after you. Um, then I dropped out, yeah. But, but bef okay, so it, before you left to college in back in Dusseldorf, uh, you've, you already did the video game thing and hired the kid and you know, yeah the... and uh when i left like uh, i told them like yeah sorry i have to go back and yeah uh, oh my god I, I didn't i didn't uh i didn't have to plan to let them continue uh like uh, have them continue to play for me and earn me money because back then i was kind of like uh yeah kind of sad a bit downer and i don't know like if i can manage or watch over them and they're like new updates and the game was uh was already on a downtrend so yeah i didn't want to put more effort in it okay i'm leaving soon and yeah now like new updates like new maps and all that and yeah i didn't want to get involved with that and i was like i'm going back to germany anyways and i leave everything here behind so yeah so they stopped playing yeah i don't know what uh, <laughs> happened to them it would wow. be fun like if i can meet them yeah. again but yeah. lost like all contact yeah back then it was very tough too keep the content it was all like yahoo messenger and like now my yahoo messenger is like all gone like i don't know where my account went yeah 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 that would have been interesting right Th those kids yeah. where, where are they now i and think they're successful they were smart kids smart definitely. kids yeah. it sound like yeah. not worried about them yeah yeah but it's like you know what can they do with their life after you know spending that time and sounds yeah. like they're very disciplined kids you know like you pay for six hours and you study for the rest and the father yeah, i think because like back then like playing games is just like fun it still felt fun when when yeah we stopped the whole operation uh, when i watched them like i still could see like they have fun playing it even if yeah. uh, it's the same map the same monsters over and over again it's so repetitive but <laughs> they liked it yeah for them it still felt like a game not like work and yeah i think so that's you, fun so now you tell your father like I'm, i can't do this two years into this I got to get out of college. I go back. Yeah. To after two years. Yeah. What did your dad say? I think like for the first time he was very, uh, yeah. Understanding. Yeah. Mm. Wow. I think like, uh, I think I remember I told him like, uh, when we were, we were both on the same train back, uh, yeah. To uh, where we live. Right. And then like, uh, I don't know, out of the blue, I just told him like, Hey dad, I think, uh, yeah, I want to go back. I don't know. Like, yeah, what uh, why i suddenly yeah had the courage to tell him that but yeah it somehow happened and yeah and he said okay yeah he was like hmm. i think he realized like there's nothing he can do about it that's just who i am yeah yeah and how is the relationship with your father now very good yeah very good is he in vietnam think, or is he still no, back he's in still in germany i think like now like uh my dad my parents uh quite proud of me and uh, now they can tell like Germany is like the thing like uh, people just like to brag about their kids oh what does your son do uh, how much does he earn well blah 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 I don't know yeah yeah and now yeah, I, mean, I think like they're quite happy yeah that's everywhere that's in the U.S. too okay yeah, yeah okay everybody loves to <laughs> brag about their children yeah the, 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 crates, my... 
the chops yeah. and stuff like yeah. I can't wait to brag about my children one day too. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I have to do that as well. <laughs> yeah, so you get back to Vietnam after you leave college. Um, and at that point, did you have a plan? Okay, uh, at that point, I was being back in Vietnam with very little money. I think it was like, okay, five grand USD, 5,000 USD. That's it. And I planned, okay, that has to last for six months. So less than 1,000 per month. While I still had like a job, like it was like more, it was like a sourcing agent, like finding like uh, furniture factories like around the Ho Chi Minh City, like Bin Yung. Yeah. Hokmon and stuff to so where they all where they all have the, these production factories. Yeah, and it went okay for the first three months, but then like the economy went down, and then all of a sudden, like uh, yeah, the, uh, the the person who ordered for me said like, "I'm oh, sorry, uh, tough times." Eh? It was 07? Uh, that was 08. 08, yeah. That's yeah. March 2008. Mass destruction yes. of the market, yeah. <laughs> yes, and then like I'm like, okay, okay, I have to pay rent every month. It's like $300. Okay, what do I do? And then like, uh, because I still went clubbing and then I went to a club in one of the first hip-hop clubs called Bounce. Yeah, it was by uh, uh, Vitai, who owned Highlands Coffee, one of the biggest and first... Uh, coffee chains in Vietnam, like Starbucks back in the days, Highlands, yeah. And uh, they owned a nightclub uh, or a small club. It was quite small, like 200 square meters, maybe. Wow. Yeah, quite small and very young kids and stuff. And I met up with the owner there, like uh, one of the shareholders and also like managing partner overseeing things, uh, Thomas, Thomas Lim, Singaporean, a Malaysian Singaporean. Yeah, and I uh, became a club promoter and uh, yeah, learned a lot from him, like, okay, how it is like okay like uh think outside the box not like the Vietnamese way with like the cognac and what they all used to but then introduced to people like champagne back then was like Moet Moet and Hennessy Moet and Chanel mm-hmm. and also like he introduced like uh, K-pop like back then was the wow the, the big hit from Wonder Girls Nobody right so yeah. that song was play he played it like every night and people loved it so he created a trend with that, like first with the K-pop thing, and also like uh, get some people to drink champagne to to make it more upper class, mm. yeah, more classy. Like go away from that uh, standing table and not moving uh, mentality for club goers. Yeah, so, so not a lot from him. Yeah, when when you're a promoter, what exactly is it that the owner is asking you to do? Bring in customers yeah. and. Uh, how does it, how them, does that happen? Be friends with them. Uh, I'm very easygoing, so I can talk to a lot of people like uh, with kiosks, like uh, yeah, overseas Vietnamese, like from the states, from Europe, and also Westerners. Like yeah, I always had like a uh, yeah that gift like to connect with people, just talk to them and become friends, and yeah, and like hey, what are you doing tonight? Hey, want to come to bounce and hang out? Okay, and I get commission on the bill. All kind of stuff, and after that, like go to eat with them. Yeah, make real friends. Yeah, make make. Uh, it's like uh, that. That that was when I realized, okay, nightlife. This even like top more. It's very good to make connections, network because like yeah, uh, some customers were like really VIP. Like one like uh, 
driving a Lamborghini, like Lamborghini Gallardo, and that back day, back in day 2008, that was quite something. And with like the crazy import taxes on luxury cars, that that yeah. cost like three times what it is in the U.S. or Germany. Like, Easy, uh, half a million dollars. Yeah, yeah, half yeah. a million dollars. And for that guy, it's like like nothing. And like uh, that was when I realized, hey, Vietnamese people are quite rich, and there are some really big ballers and like knowing them and hanging out with them yeah meet the friends and yeah take care of them sometimes they just <laughs> as like a uh, normal things they're not like uh, stuck up or whatever like in germany i've never met like a millionaire before right mm. because usually they're older and you can't go like to a public place and like uh, meet a millionaire and like uh, go with him and like hey what's up how are you doing what's your name yeah. <laughs> all this stuff that only can happen in asian countries and yeah connect and then talk about like uh, football like okay okay like a menu and all that stuff and yeah they asked me like hey okay uh you grew up in germany and stuff okay which teams you think are good and sometimes ask me like hey what do you think how this match is going to end and stuff like yeah okay in my opinion with that okay this will be the result and uh, some are lucky and um somehow they made money and then like uh, they like me okay <laughs> yeah that makes sense simple things yeah and also like to understand what customers want or connect with them. Yeah. And at that time, at that time, did you think like, you know, cause many times when we're in the, we're, we're in the action of doing whatever the work is, we don't really think about the broader implications of what life is going to sort of throw at us after like a year or two or three doing that business. Right. Yeah. Um, also a big thing, uh, I think I should mention like, okay, 2008, when I went back to Vietnam, after half a year in September, 2008, I got into a really big uh, car accident. Yeah. Um, yeah, we partied uh, with a friend of mine and then we went to his villa in district two. He's Swedish. Yeah. He's Swedish and yeah, rich parents. And then like, uh, hang out in the swimming pool and stuff. And like uh, around 2am, everyone got hungry and stuff. And, we couldn't order food so we decided to go to the city and uh he was driving but yeah yeah you i only remember a car yeah a car like a suv uh mm -hmm. uh i remember uh fort everest mm -hmm. yeah and he was drunk <laughs> not sure if he was drunk or didn't pay attention i only remember i was sitting behind him i was already like half asleep i was so tired and yeah, I remember like uh, the other guys like uh, telling him like, "Hey, faster, faster!" And yeah, he drove faster. And, like, uh, and then and the next thing I knew, like, okay, we like in midair, the car is flipping over. And yeah, after that, the car was upside down, and we crawled out of the wreck, and I crawled out, and like my my back, my left shoulder, like was bleeding. And, yeah, and then like uh, we looked up at uh, him. And half of his face was like hanging down and I, oh, damn. And then we had to bring him to the hospital and I had to go to the hospital and wow. yeah, I had to stay there for a long time. And I had to stay there like for one day and yeah, they had to remove like some, yeah. Did he make it, That's the like, driver? Yeah, yeah, he made it. Actually, like, uh, I felt like, yeah, his face looks like almost like normal. It's like really crazy. Like, uh, they, the crew, like, uh, uh, synthetic ear in his uh, forearm to, and then like yeah, put it back on and and yeah really crazy stuff I've heard yeah 
but he's okay. Yeah. Swedish, but, Vietnamese, or Viet- no, no, Swedish, Swedish. Yeah, yeah. Holy cow! So that was quite the experience. It was like in the state. Oh, damn! I, I, I haven't told my parents. I couldn't tell my parents that. I couldn't tell my dad like, hey, I almost died. He would have uh, booked a flight ticket right away and uh, get me or something like that. But uh, I didn't want to give up. Uh, but I didn't know like what to do. It was like okay, I have to stop working for a while. And okay, what I'm going to do? And I was staying in this apartment with a friend. I thought was a friend, but for him it didn't go well as well. And somehow he he didn't pay the rent. And then the landlady was <laughs> chasing me for the rent. And like hey, uh, what about him? And I was like okay, he's uh, he he left. And like oh shit, okay. So everything happened at, at once. Yeah. There was in 2008, like a, a really crazy people. People always say like, uh, whenever it's your year, zodiac sign, I'm a rat, right? So yeah, it's a bad 96, year. and then like 2008, and like last year, 2020, it will be your worst years. And I start to believe that, yeah. So there was like one, uh, yeah. Back then it was like my worst year of my life, yeah. So it was mainly like a, at home, staying at home, and didn't want to do anything. And then when I recovered slowly, go back to the club. Yeah, I just felt like okay, get drunk and whatever. I feel like okay, it can be your last day, so why bother, right? So why should I bother think about the future long term? Why should I bother like okay, not get drunk or have fun right now and all this stuff? Yeah, and it tracked on like for maybe six months, nine months. Yeah, without any direction. But like after a while, like slowly you think, yeah, maybe you should uh, rethink your life and see it as a second chance. Maybe, yeah, God or some someone else, someone, yeah, some higher spirit. And someone, uh, yeah, gave you a second chance. Maybe you should take it and do something with your life. Yeah, I realized that like I have to, over half a year, nine months only like uh, going out and not caring about anything. Yeah, and somehow, yeah, I thought, okay, now being a club promoter, that won't get me any, anywhere for far. I can't do that all my life, you know. It's not good for my body and uh, yeah, so I have to move forward. So I met a guy who always came to the club and we talked. He's like from Europe as well, like uh, Netherlands. And he told me like, hey, uh, Alan, like, uh, you're a cool guy. You're so good with people and stuff. I want to create like a, an events company. I do my own events, own parties. And I think you would be a, a perfect match for that. Like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. Why not? And, uh, that's when we like, were... We did a company together, just me and him and like some helpers and talk to like uh, club owners, like slow nights or whatever and create like a party, like a monthly party or theme night, like a white party or something like that in that direction with themes and like uh, advertise on Facebook, which was really new yeah. <laughs> back in 2009. No one was using it, but yeah, Westerners use it. So yeah, we... Mostly cater like to the expats in Vietnam, and yeah, they like it. Like, uh, like different ideas, not the same stuff every day, every time, you know. So they liked it, and yeah, all parties like uh, attracting like five hundred people through the door, sold our tickets. So, uh, it was okay money, and then like okay, 
that's actually good and also like getting more like management skills instead of like uh, taking orders from above like uh, yeah giving out orders yeah that was quite the experience and then yeah he decided to move on and like uh, take a job at a spirits company one of our sponsors back then was like uh, if I can name names I, I better not name like, names right so yeah took the job but for me I declined it I didn't want to end up like in a <laughs> spirits company you know yeah. I'm uh, drinking like uh, yeah almost uh, every day already so like okay I, I want to look for something else and I think like uh, yeah there was one like uh, Thomas who was running Bounce uh, introduced me like uh, to some uh, friends from him from Singapore who had like this uh, uh, consultancy firm like uh yeah, they were consulting like uh, big brands uh, in Southeast Asia and Singapore and also Vietnam needed help like uh, a cigarettes company. So I tried not to name names. So, okay, a cigarette company and like some uh, some fashion brands. Yeah. And yeah, I got introduced and they liked me. They said like, hey, you have a great network and we want to do like super VIP parties. Okay, invite only and it has to be special. And like, okay, I know some people like that. And like, okay, then they came up with all these crazy ideas because you can't openly advertise like, okay, this is a cigarette brand, whatever. So they had to work like with uh, colors, shapes, and something that you can relate to that brand. Wow. So people come in like, hey, this looks actually like that. <laughs> but it doesn't say like a word on it, uh, like in your face style. Yeah, they were that? really smart. And I learned a lot from them like about that. Yeah. What year was that? That was in 2010. So in 2010, why, why couldn't you use the words to advertise the brand? Uh, in Vietnam, like censorship, you can't mm. like just like, okay, the brand name, like <laughs> put it like uh, somewhere like, uh, yeah, super obvious. Yeah, and advertise for cigarettes and for cigarettes, spirits okay. openly. Also for spirits <laughs> like uh, hot liquor, like. 40% and up like vodka, cognac and all that stuff. You can advertise that. You can advertise like uh, beer, of course, like uh, low percentage, like a cool percentage of 5%, but 40% and up now, you can't do that. Yeah. Is it, it still against like the that law. now? Uh, I think it is. I don't see yeah. like it openly being, you don't, you don't see any like Ciroc. Uh, mm. uh, yeah, Ciroc. Um, I think that's a kind of a good like, thing, of, don't you, Alan? Yeah, I think good, so as well. Great thing because for like society. The, yeah. yeah, especially like, yeah, take responsibility because like if you put up billboards like everywhere where everyone can see that, like kids will see that and they, they see like in a store or whatever and they're like, hey. And in Vietnam, it's so easy to buy that stuff if you yeah. have the money, right? And yeah, they see that everywhere they go and all of a sudden like, hey, maybe I should try it. Maybe they get hooked to it. So that that's not good, yeah. Man, I'm I'm like really fascinated with the nightlife in Vietnam because I, you know, I, I go back quite a bit, but I don't partake in the nightlife. I don't uh, go out and it's not part of my thing for maybe the last 12, 13 years. You know, I, I don't, I don't, the music is so loud at the clubs and the energy is so yeah. young that it's hard for me now at, uh, in the last, I don't know, 12, 13 years to, to really be a part of that. Uh, and you know the energy is so strong. You know in Vietnam, the the music is loud and they're so crowded. It's just uh, very difficult. But at the same time, I'm fascinated by the things that are happening on the inside of it because you know it's economics and it's business and it's fun to yeah. hear about. 
But all that being said, I think I want to spend some more, a little bit more time on it. But then I, I really want to get into your work in the crypto and your game space that uh, that you know we, we came for, we came for that stuff. But we're here to to to. We've also heard a lot about how you've um, lived in the real world, if you will, right? The 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 real life. And I want to see how I want to hear how you transitioned from um, this clubbing world to where you are today with the nft and and the uh the game stuff at cypher okay so uh yeah so me and Tin, the founder of cypher so we had like uh yeah two nightclubs together sin lounge and ace nightclub and after that when we quit nightclub um he created like uh economy economy was going down so yeah, we had to move on and yeah, he had this uh, new project called yeah, Dreamplex, which was like a WeWork, the first WeWork in Vietnam. And yeah, I helped him in the beginning and after that I left and yeah, Dreamplex was the place that hosted a uh, former US president, Barack Obama. So it was, uh, yeah, quite up to Wait, Dreamplex, standard. I'm so sorry. Dreamplex is the convention center kind of thing? No, Dreamplex is like WeWork, like okay. co-working space. Yeah. At, and at that we work at, at that space what do you mean you hosted barack obama uh when barack obama came to vietnam so he visited dreamplex to got it uh, the speech about like okay entrepreneurship and all like share like uh yeah his experience with uh all the young people yeah and dreamplex was like the location that was uh screened and like considered like uh, up to the standard safe and everything yeah, so we wow. did a good job building it. I didn't did, but then like uh, yeah, I uh, uh, I left before uh, it opened. I still followed nightlife because yeah, it was still in my blood. So I still did like nightlife and did like another club XOXO, which was very successful for one year. But um, there was like one big incident. I don't know if you heard about it, but yeah, that's. This may be like one of my other worst days in my life, yeah, except for the car accident. Um, uh, my really good friend, um, the director of the Kong movie. Yes, uh, I, I do remember. Jordan Walker Roberts, uh, he got assaulted uh, in my club uh, by some gangsters. And yeah, he got hurt really bad. And there was really bad PR and everything. And it was, it was just like so much, yeah. So much bad things like happened like around it after that and yeah we were forced to close too much pressure oh wow and so they forced you to close after that yeah the landlord he put a lot of pressure on us after one year only it's a three-year contract but one year we had to move out and we were the hottest club and the highest crossing club and also we sold the most uh okay now i have to name names you can cut it out maybe it's not like advertising but uh look Belair. Like uh, that, that was endorsed by Rick Ross and uh, DJ Khaled and all this stuff. And yeah, we sold so much that uh, even DJ Khaled, uh, no, not DJ Khaled, Rick Ross, he sent us like uh, his, uh, a shout out, like, uh, yeah, thanks XOXO and stuff like, yeah, supporting the brand, yeah, selling the most bottles <laughs> ever. And like, oh, yeah, cool. And yeah, the sponsor also let us bring like uh, Sean Kingston. Remember Sean Kingston? Yeah, he played yeah, at our former. space. 
and we attracted like uh, uh yeah some good celebrities like yeah the good thing with nightclub you meet like so many people that's the fascinating thing about it yeah my nightclub i was like lucky to meet like uh, three billionaires and they were really nice yeah i could talk to them like i said i met like my very good friend back then like yeah jordan walk roberts and on my birthday he introduced me to someone like i really looked up to who was like director gareth edwards who directed uh star wars rogue one yeah one of the best star wars spin-offs mm. like okay don't count like the, the latest uh, prequels but Rogue One was such a great movie and I mean the director was like a dream like for me like yeah Star Wars the whole universe everything and back then I uh, also had the dream to become an actor and then meet like these big names that uh, in the industry it was like just great yeah wow I can't imagine what that felt like to have gone through that experience of of having one of this highly valued guests get yeah beat up in, in your club yeah, and they're like just like normal people. You see them like uh, in magazines or like online. You think okay, they're unreachable, but then when they talk to you, they're super nice and like yeah. just like normal people. Down also, there. like uh, before at Ace, we met like uh, Eve Eve with her husband. Yeah, good old Eve. She was really cool. Yeah, and all yeah. these people. Yeah, and also like uh, Lil John. Lil John was funny. Yeah, when he was at my club. Yeah. It wow. was like so fun. Yeah, yeah. hanging like... out with we drank with him, and he was like, "Wow, wow, wow!" It was like genuine, you know. Some people think like, "Okay, he's like acting up, like all this what, what, what?" But he's like, "Wow, wow!" All the time because like it was like a shock for him, like seeing like, "Okay, how how is in Vietnam?" Like, "Okay, high class," and everyone is like drinking like these big bottles, these big formats, and. We gave him like a six liter vodka bottle. He's like, wow, no, how big is this? You know, all this <laughs> stuff. And he was like so surprised. And we were like, uh, that's normal. That's what people order here. <laughs> and like, how can they drink it? Uh, they don't. They, they drink it, show off, and then they, they give it back to us to put it in the storage. And next week, they come back uh, tomorrow to show off again. <laughs> yeah, funny experiences. Yeah, yeah then... The uh, uh, yeah, after XOXO, I did another one, Sky. With the same shareholders actually funny story like uh one of the shareholder he used to have like a different club and back then we were kind of like uh, yeah competitors but like like how uh, like things in life sometimes go a different way a yeah. weird way and then like uh, we became good friends and like partners built up like the most successful club yeah that's how things go yeah and what, what sky, was sky, sky what was my sky was like the <laughs> there was the emergency solution after we had to close down XOXO and find another location to build a new club because we didn't want to the staff like lose the job so we hired like a spot like right above XOXO but very small 160 square meters it's like for 12 12, 13 tables 100 people only and that's very tough to operate and also like restroom only one restroom up there and then for more, 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 you had to go downstairs the stairs. It was just an emergency solution to bridge like the time until the new club is almost ready, or the time between like for six months. And yeah, we just wanted to keep our staff, you know, because it wasn't their fault uh, for what has happened. Yeah, you know the situation at XOXO with that big fight. Um... Like, how do you resolve something like that? Uh, you know, because I'm sure you probably knew everybody involved, right? Yeah, actually, I uh, still don't know, like, 
who the guy was who started it. I think like uh, yeah, he was a friend of the person who booked the table and from overseas. Yeah, he's not a local. I haven't mm. seen him before. No one has seen him before. And yeah, just a troublemaker. Did he get in trouble with the authorities or did he get away? Uh, that was the thing. After that, like the police uh, knocked on our doors and like investigating all his stuff. We had to stay at the station like, one whole day, give all the contacts. Okay, okay, who was the person booking the table? Blah blah blah. Camera footage and all this stuff and. But in the end, they never found like the guy who actually hurt my friend. Yeah, so mm -hmm. he's uh, not from here. Yeah, so he left to wherever he came from. Yeah. Got away. Yeah, sometimes it's bad. Yeah, that's such a, a unfortunate thing. Yeah. Oh, I think that director is still um, dealing with um, that accident, uh, physical accident. Yeah, right? he. He wanted to stay here in Vietnam and was looking for a place for him to stay, a nice place for him to build up like, yeah. He uh, really loved what, the country. He loved the country. He was like uh, the ambassador of tourism here. Yeah. yeah. Supposed to be, yeah. yeah. Also settled I, down here and like connect like more people from Hollywood to Vietnam. Yeah, that would have been, you know. Yeah, that would have been, been like great. great for the country as well. But yeah. yeah. Unfortunate, yeah. Unfortunate, I, yeah. I remember I met him. But at least like, uh, yeah. Everyone is healthy, yeah. Yeah. Ah. So after the Sky Club, yeah, is that was it. No, for you to get out, or you no, keep going? I did like one more club <laughs> called Sing Sing. That was like a more like a a big, yeah. It was like more like a big club. It's like over five hundred square meters. Yeah, that, that's quite sizable for Vietnam. Usually, you expect like customer around three hundred people a night. It's not like Big, big, like in Germany, like uh, warehouses or like uh, in the States, but that that's quite sizable for Saigon, yeah. Yeah, 300. And yeah, there was like a big investment and it was like, yeah, was supposed to be like the last one, yeah. And how long did you have it for? Sing Sing was almost two years. And was it yeah. as successful as XOXO? No. Not as successful. What, what do you think? Why, remember XOXO. Like, why, why do you think that that's... What, what was the difference? Uh, because with every new venue, you have to reinvent yourself. Otherwise, people will get bored. You can't take like uh, all the same design or furniture from XOXO and put it in another place and... Uh, expect it to uh, Expect people to think it's the same thing. Yeah. People moved on. It has been closed for such a long time. Other uh, clubs have opened up. Now you have to do something new again. That's the thing with nightlife in Vietnam. Like, uh, or anywhere. Span of a club. Yeah, it's very, very short nowadays. Like back then, Sin, it was already like uh, 42 months. So, yeah, over f three and a half years, that's a long time in Vietnam. In, I think in anywhere. Yeah, even in yeah, LA. Yeah. yeah, three and a half years is a long time. Is also 36 months and nowadays like i see like some close after like two weeks some like three months or six weeks. months yeah sometimes uh people see after in the first month like okay because it's not cheap rent in vietnam is not cheap if you count per square meter it's quite high yeah yeah it's quite high it's so dense in the cities so oh yeah if you can't get revenue enough revenue to cover your running costs and everything then yeah better cut your losses as early as possible if you drag it on you can lose a lot of money but usually like club owners without experience they have the money 
So those are the ones that usually fail that, that are like your former VIP customers who think like, okay, I can do my own thing. It can't be that hard. And it's a tough business, I tell you. Yeah, people only see like, uh, they don't see the backstage, but yeah, it's kind of tough. It's Especially for me as a foreigner, like, uh, okay, I look Vietnamese, but still like, there are some things I can't take care of. That's why like, uh, when people ask me about advice, I did like some consulting as well. I always tell them like about, okay, nightlife business in Vietnam, you need like four pillars or four walls. So the first one is like the experience and expertise. You have to know what you're doing, trends, what people might like. The second thing would be like finances. Okay, you need like the money to endure. And mm. also like, okay, you expect to build a club with half a million, better have 1 million left. So wow. whatever's extra on that, count it in, you know? Don't, okay, have 500,000. Okay, now you need a net, another 50,000, you don't have it. Okay, shut everything down now. Third thing would be a relationship with the landlord, which is the best so they can take away the property. Uh, the government, of course, yeah. So they don't bother you too much. Like uh, the authorities, not the government, yeah. And the fourth thing is basically like a reputation, okay. Uh, how do people see you? Are you a likable person? You can be the richest motherfucker in Vietnam, but uh, you're a douchebag. No one likes you. No one goes yeah. to your club. So that's your reputation. So And no one wants to work for you. So that wouldn't work. So you need those four things. That's what I so interesting. always tell people. Yeah. And then and are... it's very tough for one person to have all four pillars. I have like maximum two. I never can have like the relationship like with authorities and stuff. As a foreigner, you need a local to do that. So that's why like... Uh, I would say like perfect number of like partners, like three to four partners and to cover all four pillars. That's, that's the best. Yeah. Too many, too many opinions doesn't work. You alone, you can handle the workload. Yeah. So you, you know, it's crazy, to, Alan. Yeah. Like if I can rewind to like first started the, the first 20 minutes of our conversation, it's like, I think about like you being a 19, 20 year old kid with no direction. And then fast forward to the conversation right now. And we're talking about such very technical pillars about having a club because only somebody who's done it for many years can understand that there's four pillars and you have to have this. Cause if you don't have it, you're going to come up with a lot of problems. And I yeah, can completely understand yeah the house of cards will crumble, will crumble yeah will fall yeah. down yeah and and uh yeah me, even like me and my friends like who we've been in this business uh it's so funny people always like okay tell hey you're free for coffee i want to show you a location what you think about it and all that stuff and here's a presentation <laughs> i uh it's funny i reply to 95 percent of them like my advice for you don't do it <laughs> yeah because yeah. Yeah, like I said, it's really tough. It looks easy from the outside, but from the inside, you need to know a lot of stuff. And, and the funny thing, we were right, you know, like the, to these friends or people who ask for our advice. And like uh, one day, like we calculated stats, like, hey, if we would have taken like a consultancy fee of 10% or whatever, we could have saved these people like uh, over 5 million USD. <laughs> 5 million USD just gone, like in invested in some months, like life venues that didn't work out. Even with, you could see it from the beginning. It's just like missing so much, but yeah. Yeah. Some, pe some people uh, don't want to listen. Yeah, yeah. That's what I learned. So that's why I try to listen always now. 
Yeah. And you know, restaurants are the same way. Yeah, restaurants are really tough. I never got an FB. That's not my strong point. Yeah. I know what I'm good at and what I know what I'm not good at. Actually, like, uh, yeah. Uh, my That's partner a, also had like uh, this oh. idea like with a restaurant and asked me to join. I was like, sorry, that's not my strong point. I can't mm. do that. Yeah, I yeah. won't be good at it. Because you, I can't it's do that. not only just the experience, but it's also the taste that goes into your mouth. Mm. What you smell, what you, what yeah. you, you know, it's a, another dimension of experience that you have to bring to the table that you have to be so good. Yeah. And I'm so bad at that. I have to openly say like, um, my, <laughs> My sense of smell is really bad and uh i can eat anything like i'm very easy so yeah yeah would be a very bad food critic and everything yeah yeah, it's the same thing and you know people when you are the on the outside looking at a a a successful restaurant you think that it's something that is doable it's like what's the big deal no 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 there's like not four pillars there's more like (laughs) <laughs> 20 pillars of, of yeah a restaurant, is like a restaurant really tough, yeah it's it's uh i had two of them and uh, wow a vietnamese one a small one a pho restaurant uh 1997 and then 2000 20 years later 2017 i had uh, another one for both of them i had about for 18 months the first one was okay oh, i sold it back to my my there's family members i sold it back to and the the second one was was a very tough one um, oh yeah it's recent oh yeah but in restaurant business yeah your return on investment you need like a long time right totally then, you need a long yeah. runway and you really need to know what you're doing you need yeah, a nightclubs place. it was you did the other way around back in the days like all these sponsors like liquor sponsors they had so much money from overseas and yeah they gave you a lot so you had your return on investment really quick yeah. oh but now it's like of course tougher and now like people invest so much more in clubs back in the days you can do like a nice place for a quarter million. Yeah. And now you need like over 1 million. Yeah. And then like and the sponsorship deals are much less yeah. because the tax on liquor is higher and everything and rent is higher. It's like so tough now. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's why I had to move on. Yeah. With Sing Sing. Yeah. Sing Sing. Uh, yeah. The thing was. Uh, we planned when we planned to change it up again one more time. Like we had like a Korean show and the idea was like to do like a Korean super club like in Seoul. There's like clubs like Octagon and NP and all these places, Eden Club, uh, Burning Sun, they're really hot. And we had so many customers, like Korean customers and just like uh, talking to them or analyzing, okay, the, uh, the spending power, it wasn't, uh, Vietnamese VIPs or Vietnamese uh, rich kids anymore. It's like, uh, wow, the, the Koreans. And our partner told us that, and we said, yeah, we checked the bill, and like, um, they don't care, like, because for them here in Vietnam, it's, it's still like a 30, 40% discount compared to Seoul. So it's much cheaper. So they, they order their high level stuff, Dom and whatever, and all the expensive stuff, and they don't care. And they leave with a happy face, or they don't leave with like, Sometimes like some customers, okay, they show off a lot and okay, goes around, they all look at it. But when the bill comes out, then they take like 10, 15 minutes to haggle about like uh, $40 or something like that. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> you know, those customers are sometimes tire, tiresome, you know. And like Koreans are always like, okay, always well-dressed, always nice. And they have fun, they enjoy themselves, they dance, they don't sit around and 
when the bill comes, okay, take care of it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> take care of no no complaints, no questions. Okay, yeah, okay, that's right. Okay, you guys are not cheating me. I know that. Okay. Yeah, that was the idea, and then COVID hit. <laughs> so I went back to Germany in 2019 for for Christmas, two weeks, and that was like when we were in negotiation, like uh, with a new partner coming in, will yeah invest a good amount of money in there and buy some of our shares. Yeah, some of my shareholders are lucky they got completely out, and I was left with the biggest shares and COVID, that nothing going on. Just like every month, expenses, expenses, and my Korean partner, yeah, he went MIA. He got some, yeah, personal issues. So I was all by myself and like, okay, talk to landlord, rent, uh, staff. Okay, we can't keep them for too long. We can't pay them uh, the salary, and then after that, we can't pay them half the salary. That's a lot for. Same thing we had like staff like uh, in the Excel file with accountants storage managers and everything is like wow security almost 100 people like 80 something people. that's a lot shit. cleaning promoters accountants yeah uh, security uh, valet that's a lot yeah so there was a big hit and i was like okay 2020 why 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 12 years after why why it's always happening <laughs> every 12 year why is it happening? It can't be. How? Where does COVID come from? How can it be like that? Yeah. Something that we thought like is untouchable. The nightlife industry is like, will go on forever. It's always like a good business because people make money. They need to spend money every day. Yeah. They need the place to go out, show off, uh, release some steam, drink. Yeah. But <laughs> COVID has shown us otherwise anything is possible yeah yeah well, we've all gotten smarter because of it yeah definitely and yeah. but uh, on the other hand it opened like new doors for me like uh, oh yeah coming to crypto actually i started it like uh when i did xoxo already like so in 2017 so four years ago it was a good time right there 2017 uh, not best like 2015 2016 would have been the best time 2017 <laughs> it was a good time for the last part of the year <laughs> so yeah i started off like uh, a little like uh tried out like yeah, 10k euros there yeah, and the exchange was very easy to deposit from a singapore account from vietnamese account it was impossible yeah. so i had to use my foreign account and it was very easy deposit money on there and i trade some coins and uh, after one week see your portfolio down 40 percent, and i wonder why wait what's happening <laughs> like yeah, start off with like 10K and then like after six days, oh, it's 6.1K. Then you don't know what happened. Hey, I bought like all these coins, like people on Reddit and on the internet, they all said like, it's the next big thing. It's the next Ethereum. It will go like 10 times, whatever. And like all, of this, all of a sudden your portfolio is down. And then there was a, there was a time when I said like, okay, I need to dig in. Yeah. I can't listen to other people. I have to do my own research. And then I got really involved. I, every day was the same schedule, like uh, reading about crypto trade every day. And then I go to XXO, clubbing, friends, drink. <laughs> next morning, next afternoon, again, crypto trading. Uh, uh, yeah. Wow. So yeah, it was right. fascinating. I thought I knew right from the start it would be 
uh, it will be the future. And I heard about it like in 2015 already uh, through um, the owner of uh, Bitcoin.bn, which was one of the first uh, websites for Bitcoin in Vietnam. He's German. So yeah, he reached out for me. He wanted to put like a, an ATM machine, like a Bitcoin machine at Dreamplex. He thought that it would be good for the startup to get involved with Bitcoin, crypto tech yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> through him, I could have uh, got involved when Bitcoin was really cheap, but I didn't bother. For me, it was like too complicated. And like a lot of people see now, like, oh, how does it work? Oh, this, this is your wallet address. What? It's all numbers and letters and like uh, some capital, some not. And, uh, no, that's too much trouble. But then in 2017, I realized, okay, then, you know, it, get a, to a certain point, you are still a foreigner in a foreign country. I'm still like German in uh, Vietnam, even if I look Vietnamese. So you, uh, you have some restrictions about like banking, for example. And for me, it was like uh, the main reason why I got into crypto because like I withdraw money out of my bank account to buy something I didn't want to buy anymore. I want to deposit it back. And then all of a sudden they ask questions, where does this money come from? What's the origin? And then I tell them, these are the same banknotes you gave me two days ago. And they say like, sorry, the, the money, it lost its source. I'm like, what the hell? No. So what, do I, what am I going to do with all the cash? I can keep it in my house with the maid and like small safe. And then, yeah, a friend told me like, hey, crypto. I'm like, okay, how does it work? Yeah, um, you can uh, buy crypto and uh, send it anywhere on for example, okay, you want your money back in Singapore? Okay, I can do it for you. And like, okay, so what do you need to do? Okay, just uh, give me the money, cash, whatever you have, and then I get deposit for you. And like, okay, <laughs> and then like after three days, the money was back in my bank account, just like that, without any third party, no one out there to tell me what I can do with my money. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, I understand, of course, regulations, uh, money laundering, or dirty money, drug money, but for people like these, our heart, yeah, we work for money really hard, and then all of a sudden, there are restrictions on that. It's like, that's, it didn't feel right. So that's why I said, like, okay. Yeah, but in the beginning, crypto. it's hard to draw the lines because it's very complicated, you know. Not enough people were kind of understanding the technology and the applications, so putting all of that, uh, the rules down would require a lot of time. I don't think, I don't even think we're a quarter of the way, you know, where we should be with the, you know, keeping things. Yeah, adoption, yeah, adoption. still early. Yeah, very, very nowadays early. people have it so much easier. Back then for me, it was like really like copy paste. It wasn't even like a mouse click to copy like the yeah. whole address. You have to, Okay, put your pointer right at the beginning and track it all the way to the end and don't miss one letter. Otherwise, your funds are gone forever. Limbo. Yeah. <laughs> crazy. And, That's crazy. And, but, but then there, it was a little bit easier in terms of, like with Binance.com, it yeah, was, yeah. you know, there was, was no taxes. There was yeah. nothing. And there was no glitches. Like when I traded on Binance, uh, to the end of 2017, it was... The trades were very quick. It was fast. Yeah. Not a lot of people. And there were so many coins that were listed that yeah. you can make so much money on these trades. It was like Forex trading. And no KYC. So no KYC, no, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So, okay. Not all your details. Only email address and start right away. 
Yeah, I think that was like what made them really good. I was trading on Bittrex. It yeah. was like the biggest one back then. But for all coins and everything, I bought like my Cardano, ADA, <laughs> like the top five coin there, my first yeah. Cardano. And it was really good. And I was like in a group, um, like day traders, like uh, only a handful. And uh, you have like a separate group. And then they, they ask you, they know like you use the service every day. And they ask in the group, like, okay, what should we change, blah, blah. And uh, like I said, like always, like sometimes you just have to listen. Like we told them, like okay, this is not good. This can be improved. And they were like, just covering their ears. They're like, ah, oh, no, we know better. <laughs> and look where they are now, or where are not. Yeah, they are not. Yeah, not now. Yeah. So everyone moved away from Bitrix and Binance, and Bitrix lost like a big lead. Yeah. That's why, like, never think you are like number one and one. stay there. You have to keep up. That's the. I big. always compare like everything. Once you pioneer the first one, never think like you will stay there forever. I always compare it like with uh, web browsers. Back then, it's like Internet Explorer. <laughs> yep. And there was nothing else. Everyone Internet Explorer, Internet Explorer. Like someone was like, "What? What is Firefox? <laughs> what Google Chrome? Are you kidding me? I want my Internet Explorer, right?" But <laughs> look at it now. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did you find your um the you know I think his name is Tin, right? You said. Yeah. So, so you... me and Tin, we met uh, at the club, like in Vietnam, like, uh, yeah, 2008, I think, yeah, around that, when he was, uh, he was still, like, uh, studying in Melbourne, Australia, mm-hmm. so he came back uh, to Vietnam for a visit, and we went out, had some mutual friends, and, yeah, it clicked, we connected, like, okay, talking, a lot of stuff, like, he likes, like, music, dancing as well, and games, and all that stuff, and, yeah, we kept in touch, and then when he decided to come back and do, like, his uh, own bar, Sin Lounge, and when it wasn't doing that well, like the first half year, and then I just got out of uh, the consultant's company from Singapore, he asked me like to join. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. We need to change some things. And I think this people will like. We went to Singapore together. We partied together in Singapore, like Souk Out, like one of the biggest festivals, like with all the number one DJs and stuff. So mm-hmm. we have seen a lot of things. We are very well-traveled or aware real world travel i went like yeah like all european countries and the clubs there the us i didn't go clubbing there but yeah i've seen a lot and he in australia singapore and all that stuff and yeah we went there and um seen like okay people drink champagne and these good looking girls come up with sparklers and stuff hey we like that and mm. that's what we brought back to vietnam and created a trend with the champagne culture and stuff so we always had like a good connection like everything we touched yeah was successful only till like we had to close our two clubs and split ways so he was still taking care of his uh, main business real estate development and dreamplex and i still like nightlife until like uh uh beginning of this year um yeah he got into crypto (laughs) just beginning of this year it moves so fast like in january yeah he asked me again before four years ago three years ago he asked me already like how do I invest in uh, Ethereum or stuff? Can you buy from with your Singapore account and all that stuff? But it was like too cumbersome, too complicated. So yeah, it didn't so, follow through. But so, like beginning of this year, he realized, okay, crypto is the future and he wanted to do something in the space. So he came up with the idea of Cypher because like he had like really good artists. Yeah. From his company, Marvel company. And yeah, make use of them during COVID, I think. And yeah. He uh, always like uh, reads a lot, so he can like 
soak up like knowledge and everything like really quick. Uh, I, w- I would even say like uh, in certain areas he knows more than me after me with four years, but other things like uh, with blockchain and stuff, yeah, he knows more already than me like reading into that. And so, yeah, he soaked it all up and he thought like, yeah. He started at the do, beginning like, of this year. Yes. 2021. Like, yeah, like 10, 11 months ago. Yeah. Wow. And we're in December yeah. right now. And so yes. he didn't know much about crypto or anything like that. Yeah, he didn't uh, uh, dig deep like uh, this year. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. he has this idea for um, a company, uh, which is called Cypher. Yeah. A, a project, more like a project. And a project. It, yeah. A project. But it was more. Uh, there were like some ideas in the beginning. He told me about it, what I think about it. Like uh, Cypher in the beginning, he wanted to go like one direction for Cypher to become like uh, like your personal assistant, like your Siri, but like with a cute dog avatar and stuff. Like more fun, more, f- mm-hmm. yeah, with a friendly face, something fun. And yeah, he sent me like uh, the first uh, drafts, the first uh, designs. I'm like, okay, it looks cute. <laughs> Then, like, uh, we talked about the deal, like, yeah, he mentioned, like, hey, what if we turn this character into a game, metaverse, and all that stuff? And then, like, yeah, he uh, researched, like, for some designs and art directions. Some uh, were, like, kind of more dark, dystopian, like, with uh, the dog, the Inu, like, more, like, uh, like human-like, like, tall, fit, yeah really masculine and all that stuff at the cute uh, comic figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, then when the the Inu, the Cypher Inu, like you can see now, was like created, like that was like around uh, May, I think. Yeah, May. And I said like, hey, I like it. I like it a lot. I think it's very appealing Wait, to a lot so, of people. So in May, you all finalized kind of like yeah. finalize the imagery, not even the the back end sort of like how this no, is all going to work. No, no, that was like six months ago. And then that's when it started out and think about like a game. Okay. Who to reach out and create a team and make it official and yeah. Investing before we got any investors, because for us, yeah, I think we knew like, okay, this is going to be a future. It was only about like, okay, uh, on board the right people and do it the right way. And yeah, with his experience and his uh, skills in, with management and being a CEO of a big company, like with hundreds of people. So yeah, he can get the talent there. And for me, it was like about the vision and also like uh, the trends and all that stuff. So combining both together, we were back uh, one team and yeah, the rest is history. We wow. moved forward. Uh, yeah, he was uh, willing to put out like the money up front for everything needed. Uh, without any guarantee that he will get it back. But it was just like we really got into like a trance, like a passion, like every day, like uh, being involved with cyber, talking about things, looking for things, what can we do and all this stuff. And yeah, okay, we decided so- like to do uh, this uh, game because we, uh, we are big gamers back and he played a lot of Overwatch. And uh, I think like uh, Dolder, I played like a, uh, Wide Rift and all kind of games, like uh, mobile games mainly. And like blockchain games were kind of similar to mobile games, like in terms of simplicity. So you don't have like a crazy graphics AA titles, like uh, uh, I don't know, if, uh, 
Battlefield or something like that, like high graphics or stuff, very simple. But too simple in our opinions. Uh, it just felt like for us as gamers, there was like no blockchain game that we enjoyed to play. So there was nothing out there. There were like some pro projects in the making, like Star Atlas and Luyum. Like, uh, looks really cool, but yeah, the development like takes like a long time to yeah. do something good, like years, right? It can't be like uh, within one year or half a year. So we were thinking with the resources we have and uh, with what's missing on, on the market and what we like to play, something like uh, fun with friends like Brawl Stars we played and Smash Legends and all this stuff, we thought like, okay, something casual like that. We think it should be fun. If we add in some like uh, lore and like a uh, world building story and all that stuff, like build a whole world around it, would be fun like have people have the game they have the story they get really involved and after they will be the metaverse they can hang out talk to each other invite each other to their homes and show off their nft collection in their metaverse oh. <laughs> and all that stuff yeah like <clears throat> limitless opportunities yeah so now you're trying to figure out the world of cypher right it's its own sort of universe right Yes, it is. Like I mentioned before, like big Star Wars fans, me and him, and all uh, fans of everything, like with a big world lore, like uh, Game of Thrones, uh, Warhammer, and all this stuff. All these worlds, universes are fascinating. I mean, clubs are a world, <laughs> right? Nightclubs are a world. It's all of it is a world that you create uh, uh, as an experience. Yeah, but it's still in the real world, so you are like right. limited, like for but, things you can. Concepts are kind of the stuff, same, yeah. no? The the ideas of like people's experiential values are now um, being sort of designed by a team. Yeah. So yeah, but uh, of course, like with this idea, metaverse, we can, yeah, limitless opportunities, and we want we really want to flesh it out, make it a brand. Um. Like aiming for our Star Wars is of course too high, but like a rebuild our world, like having like comics, animation. Uh, so we invest a lot in that, but we think like it's needed. And luckily, like uh, just recently, like uh, one animation just uh, released Arcane. It's from League of Legends, and the critics are crazy about it. Like it's like people love it. It's like it's like what they all want. And we had this idea like a couple months ago already. And so we know, like, okay, we're going in uh, the right direction. And we believe that people like that. Okay, nowadays, like, for example, look at uh, IPs like Pokemon or Walt Disney in general, right? They have, like, all this stuff around there. It's not only, like, the animated series, cartoons and all this stuff. They have merchandise, they have events, they have cosplay, they have comics, they have, yeah, anything. Yeah. Wow. Do, and how, do, you know, how do you measure success in terms of um bringing on more money more like at what point do you say okay you know we got to make this much in order to, to develop more how does it it's so nebulous and so cloudy when i think about the structure of where you're going with because it's it feels like it's infinity you can just keep developing 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 yeah. this sort of world forever and ever and ever where do you stop and you go okay we have to stop and we have to make money. Uh, how does this all work? 
uh, in terms of financial success, I think we were really lucky. Uh, yeah, we, our investors are great. We, uh, we onboarded like uh, one of the best investors in the crypto space, everyone well known. 18 of them, three lead investors and 15 strategic ones. And yeah, they're all like specialists. They've all been around. So they give like really good advice and everything. And yeah, we closed like the seed round, the first round with 6.8 million, which is enough like for game development for two years. Yeah, game development costs a lot a month. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah this but- is all uh, being developed in Vietnam, programmed out of Vietnam? Uh, uh, yeah, we are mainly based in Vietnam, but we outsource a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, lot, lot. We have to make use of the money and we have to fast forward things. Yeah, it's not about like uh, cutting costs or whatever. It's about like delivering, delivering, like at the highest quality and the high speed. So we have like, uh, yeah, game developers from Indonesia. Yeah, UX, UI designers from the States even who are like involved with like big AAA titles and yeah. Singapore, Southeast Asia, all over wow. the place. Yeah. What's your timeline? We have like 80 people. Yeah. What's your timeline for, you know, any benchmarks? Yeah. So next month in three weeks, we will have like our uh, public token sale, the Cypher token. So that will be a big step, like also for price discovery. So people, okay, let's see like how big is the hype? How do people evaluate like our brand? like where we position it and yeah, how uh, even more big investors see us after that. And maybe they want to involve and go in the series A to involve more, uh, be more involved and invest more before it's too late. And yeah, after that, it's like only focus like on the game and uh, bring out new races, new game mechanics. And so financial success is kind of, yeah, it's kind of, mm, yeah, it's kind of tough to say what is enough. But we have enough like to build a game that we want. But the real success, I think, is like, okay, we create something like a game, a metaverse, like that that's uh, for everyone, like from young to old and yeah, all over the world. We don't only say that, okay, it's only for the Western market or the Asian market. And you don't even have to like, okay, play with your friends, again, enemies, you can play against each other or you just go there and hang out like uh go to the virtual bar. We, we already planned because nightlife is wow. like uh, still yeah. our background. We already planned like to have like a, a bar where people can hang out, have some drinks and they can go to each other places. They can play mini games together. It's just like what you do with your friends here. Go to the coffee shop, have a talk, have some drinks, but you do it in the metaverse. So that would be like the final goal. That would be like the real dream. And everyone is having a good time you now, like uh, escape uh, reality for a bit. Like uh, the story I told you, like with uh, one of my customer who was uh, so sick of his uh, boring job and yeah, spent so much time in game. Yeah. The... Sorry, is that a cat? cat? Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering was where that was coming from. I was like, is that my <laughs> no cats around here? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, my Neko, my Cypher Neko. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it's like um, there's game components so you guys are selling nfts and there's tokens yes. so there's all of this sort of like world building mechanisms that you have to build and it just takes some time to kind of get that ad adoption is there other sort of competition coming out of vietnam or you're not this is not even a vietnamese thing this is more a global yeah it's a global thing blockchain games are, are globally yeah uh 
no for us like uh, that's no competition it's not like okay other people don't do like games like us or uh, want to do games but for us it's about like growing the space together it's like same with uh, back then with a nightlife business like some people see us as competitors but we always think like okay we do we focus on our own stuff and it's good if we grow the market together right so it's not like okay you have like uh, one big cake and okay everyone uh, tries to get the biggest slice of it why don't create like more cakes you know and i'll tell you why i think here's my here's my view on that question just like the club space like if you invite me i can only be at one place at one time right i i can't go to two clubs if you invite me to um cypher and there's another place i can't be at two places so it is a finite number of people that and if you build a a better world then i'm gonna hang out there you know so i think that's where that competitive sort of yeah model but after being so long in night i also don't expect people like to go to your place like 24 7 like Mm. seven days a week maybe they can go two three days but they need like some yeah other variety yeah good point and that's a good thing because then they don't get sick of you much and they appreciate if they come back they went to some other place maybe that's missing something lacking something that you provide them then they come back they're happy okay but it's, if you keep them all the time at your place, I remember like we had like one VIP guest. He, I think he set the record. He came to Sin Lounge 10 days in a row. So not one week, but 10 days. It was like from, yeah, it was from when, uh, yeah, from Friday to Wednesday, something like that. Crazy. Oh, it's insane. And like, hey, 10 days, it's one third of the month. Like, it's, yeah. But uh, that's like some exceptions. I think like life, uh, real life or the virtual life, you know, you need like uh, a lot of flavors, you know, so you don't get bored. And it, that's what makes everything interesting. So for competitors, uh, we we don't see anyone like as a real competitors or uh, hindering or progress, whatever. We're happy like uh, to be friends with everyone and like yeah. build this space together, you know, because it's still early. I would understand it like, if it's, too overcrowded or anything but we're still at the very very early stage so at the early stage you have to build like yeah you have to build everything up first and then yeah, yeah like how i imagine things are right now is like we are on the outside of the virtual space we're standing on the outside we're programming from the, doing everything from the outside we're thinking about art like nft from the outside tokens from the outside and we're thinking about it and we're building it but we haven't really built a portal to go into that world so we can like you said hey come on into my house and look at the nft collections on my wall right we we haven't that sort of like that actual space has not been designed yet we're just coming up with um the accoutrements the 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 single pieces like an nft or token things that we can sort of understand the utility of it right now but the actual like the 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 metaverse of it is not being done yet and and so i guess my question is do you see at some point somebody creating a metaverse like the way facebook is thinking of it and then we have to bring cypher into that metaverse to exist inside of it or is cypher going to build its own 
um, Cypher is going to build its own metaverse and then you have to go into the Cypher metaverse. How does this work? Uh, yeah, we built our own metaverse, of course, like welcome everyone. But I wouldn't say like, okay, because we have our own metaverse, you won't see Cyphers in other metaverses, like for example, Sandbox, which is open for yeah. everyone. Like, uh, yeah, I wouldn't say like you w will never see like a Cypher character walking around in Sandbox or uh, the Central Land or stuff like that. Mana, right? Yeah, Mana. I think like um, that's that's the beauty of the metaverse. Like you don't have limitations. You can be anywhere, wherever you feel like you can be present anywhere and wherever you feel, yeah, the most comfortable at. Yeah, so many what choices. A, what a great conversation to have this year. You know, I, I'm so happy to have engaged uh, with this conversation to to hear about your life because you could see the progression of, you know, somebody who's uh, looking for their way and you go to Vietnam and you, <laughs> you know, get, get involved in the nightlife, but then it takes you back yeah. to the virtual life. And what a beautiful story. It is like life is full of wonders and yeah, you never know where you go. It's like, uh, uh, yeah, Forrest Gump, right? With the, the chocolate box. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, Alan, thank you so much today. I, I've learned a lot and I hope that, you know, in a few more months we can get back on and talk about uh, maybe have both you and Tin on to talk about Cypher yeah. and sort of, I know six months will be a long runway to develop, uh, you know, the, the business model would be totally different in six months. And uh, I'm, you know, looking forward to maybe, again, getting both of you on and, and sitting and having a chat. Yeah, that would be great. We awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate your, yeah, your time. Thank you, Kenneth. It was a great okay. talk. Man. All right. All right, Alan. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran and Javier Proenza. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts. Thanks again for listening. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.